Hi, Ted Ulbrich here in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, where we've been for 23 years. Matsu and I came here in uh, 1998 with one thing in mind, and that was to see Cambodia come to Christ. And that vision has never changed, but the method in which we would accomplish that was certainly a, a surprise to us and has been a wild ride. We began uh, taking care of orphans uh, because they got dropped off on our doorstep and one thing led to another. And through the years now, we've raised uh, 25,000 kids that have been released out into the countryside. Now, the question that we're being asked continually is how have we coped with the last two and a half years of COVID shutdowns? And to be honest with you, we're still not through with it. Our churches technically still cannot meet. Uh, we still have to wear masks when we go to public places. We have to wear masks at the airport when we go to the bank. And so it's been a struggle for us to adapt. And uh, many places, churches are banned from meeting. And so we've had to learn to be adaptive. And one of the great tricks that have uh, really helped us is the ability to go digital with our services. We have probably uh, four uh, different churches around Cambodia that are now uh, broadcasting their Sunday morning services, even though they may not have many people there. Um, they put on the program with the music and the dancing and everything else, just like they had a crowd. And uh, we're picking up up to 1500 views per Sunday, whereas with a normal church service, you might on a packed out Sunday have 450. So that's been a multiplying factor. And then we've also had these young people going out into all these villages, um, getting married, having families, uh, starting businesses. They start opening their homes to 15, 20 people, whatever happened to want to come in, and they tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And we started dozens of new home groups and then these people will get excited. They start paddling across rivers, climbing mountains, going to villages in very remote areas and starting new churches. Every month we start two or three new ones. And I don't think I'm exaggerating on that. And so the church has been growing in the midst of what we would think would be terrible persecution. Now, one of the problems we face that's very serious for us and now all over the world is the food shortage and the container uh, shipping problem uh, of getting supplies into Cambodia. Containers were so expensive last year in 2021 that we had to quit bringing uh, foreign donated food supplies uh, to help our orphans, which means that everything we feed our kids, we have to raise locally. And that's really cost us. It's not that we don't like free food, it's the freight is so high. And now because of all the draconian lockdowns and sanctions all over the world, India, Russia, Ukraine, China, has been hoarding grain supplies all over. They've got excess. They will no longer export fertilizers or grains from these countries. And so now we're facing worldwide potential famine. Fertilizer in Cambodia costs us three and a half to five times what it did a year ago. And the rice price here is controlled by the government and it's kept very low. So we've faced big problems. Uh, what's keeping us alive now, we feed all of our kids out of the rice that we raised. 
at our large rice farm in Bontimanche. And we're working hard to get that developed so that we can secure it against floods and drought. And we still have to dig our big reservoir. And that's going to be an expensive project. We struggle to make our ends meet. We need your help, but we're so grateful for everything that you've been doing for us through the years. And we just say, God bless you each and every one. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful year. Amen. Good morning, family. I'm so excited to have Ted with us this morning. And uh, he's a longtime friend and many of you know and uh, the work and the wonder. We have uh, in, our, in our church, we've determined over the years, as we've had long-term relationships with four ministries um in missions missions ministries and uh and uh four square missions press is one with uh bob of course they are here they're part of our church and family and then with john dawson in his work uh, with with um mercy ships um i think there's 26 mercy ships around the world of course his leadership with ywam and long-term friendship uh, there and then with Leslie Kegel in Sri Lanka, which right now is going through a terrible time um, in that country. And then we've had this wonderful relationship with Ted and uh, Cambodia for many years. In fact, we still we, we won't take down those pictures of the when you walk in the Cam several of the Cambodian uh, um, orphanages that are there. But um, but they there's a uh, hundred. Um, you know, uh, orphanages that are being served, but that has become a movement. Now there's over 4,000 churches, and every day um, they feed about 5,000 people. 3,000, I think, is, are orphans, and uh, another 2,000 beyond that, that that is being fed. And uh, and it's the and they they um, they they do the land. They they uh, farm the land, and that's how they feed them. And uh, so. Ted's going to come and share, but I want to do something, and I want to give you time. In, in our church, normally on a Sunday morning, we do not uh, pass around the offering bucket. We haven't done that in over two years. Um, but this morning, I want to do that. And I felt led of the Lord actually a couple weeks ago when I knew Ted was coming. And, uh, and so what we're going to do is at the end of service, I'm just giving you a heads up. Some of you give online, and maybe it, you'll, you'll do it that way, and you can. You can go to our online giving and give to Cambodia if you feel led to do that. But if you feel uh, led to give and you want to write a check or give cash in the offering bucket, I just want to prepare you ahead of time. We're going to do that at the end of service, okay? Uh, Ted's ministry, well, it just have to say it's supernatural. It is supernatural. He, him and his wife go to Cambodia and... Uh, and children are dropped off at his doorstep, and now you've got thousands and thousands of people. And young people who have gone through, grown up, and they're business people in the nation. They've, been, they've grown up in, in all of that. I don't need to take any more of his time, but would you give a real warm cornerstone welcome to Ted Albrecht as he comes? Thanks, Rick. God bless you, Cornerstone. It's great to be back. I feel like I'm home. Um, I really like that young row over there. You know, you are a rarity. Uh, 
don't quit coming to church. In fact, go out and start some more, okay? Um, young people all over the world are shunning churches. Have you noticed that? So it does my heart good to see you here. People ask me everywhere I go. In fact, this, this video you saw, I actually filmed that the day I got on the airplane to come here. And uh, they bolted it together and sent me the finished copy after I had been in the States. And so we uh, are giving you fresh news there. And the Lord told me today when I came here that he didn't want me talking about See, we've lived in the book of Acts for the past 23 years. We literally have. Everything that they saw in that book, we've seen in Cambodia. And he said, don't tell old war stories. Give them the fresh news. So people say, Ted, how's it going over there? And I said, great. We're having a terrible time. <laughs> you see... Jesus said, woe be it unto you when all men speak well of you. You know, I, honestly, there are two things that the Lord promises us in the New Testament. His love and his help, I guess you could roll those into one. And the other is trouble. <laughs> and if you're not having some of that, there's probably something wrong. <laughs> really, we have to expect that the enemy isn't going to roll over and die uh, just because we have the power of the Lord. In fact, the more powerfully we move in the Lord, the more powerfully he will move against you. And learning how to deal with that is probably the most insightful lesson that we've learned in 23 years of living in Cambodia. How do you deal with the devil I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but Jesus in his ministry did much more to reveal the nature of Satan and his power and destructive ability and the church's obligation to oppose that than any of the entire Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, the devil's barely mentioned except for the book of Job. And there, people think that, you know, God was kind of turning Job over the devil. And the fact is, it was the devil that was doing the destroying. It wasn't God. In fact, God never has been in the killing business. Did you know that? He, he didn't come to kill. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. He was a murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of lies. I have come to give you life and life abundantly. That's why all these demonic people live forever. It seems like, how come they don't die and the good ones die young? Well, it's because God has a better place for us. You know, I'm looking forward to getting dead. <laughs> now, if I fall over, don't revive me, Rick. Don't call the rescue squad. Just let me go. Then you can feed the orphans. It's been so good to be partnered with people like you who are like-minded. Um, I want to tell you some stories about things that are happening, but before I do, if you would, uh, open your Bibles with me, and I'm sorry I don't have an outline. This is uh, fresh stuff that the Lord just helped me bolt together on the airplane last night or yesterday afternoon, and um, I just want to give it to you straight 
the way I got it. Go to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and uh, I will be reading to you from uh, my New King James Bible. But I want to pick it up um, on verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, 2 Timothy 3.10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered, uh, out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all, and this is the part I want to emphasize to you. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And I'll quit there. Now, I'm not trying to preach doom and gloom to you. Jesus made it very clear to me in this with John 16, the last thing that he said in that chapter, in this world you will suffer persecution, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He left us the helper to deal with the devil. And the key is, how do we access this power and, and, and actually unleash it against what Satan is trying to do to us? It's amazing how Paul faced opposition from people who would start out good and go rotten. You know, he wound up turning a couple of them over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. Now, that's a very interesting proof text right there. If God was in the killing business, or if God was in the business of spanking sinners in this life, why didn't he turn them over to God to kill them and smack them around a little? Because God doesn't do that. He has come to see us saved. His desire is that all men come to the knowledge of the truth, not that they get smacked around and sent to hell. And it's too bad that much of the church is focused on that. I just finished one of those thousand-page books on Martin Luther. There are a lot of things I'd like to fight with Martin about when I get to heaven. But <laughs> one of the things he said that just uh, every time I think about it is, whoa, baby. He said, one of his famous quotes is, sin and sin boldly. Now, <laughs> I'm not an advocate of sinning, okay? I don't think Martin was either. But what he was saying was, too many Christians spend their entire Christian life trying to resist sin and, and fight against the temptations to sin. And they, they focus all their energy against what the devil is trying to do to them and fighting that off. And they don't push forward and expand the kingdom of God. They don't move by faith. They move by fear. So quit being afraid. He just says, these bodies of ours were sold out to sin in the Garden of Eden. And they aren't going to quit sinning. And so you just got to get used to it. And what you do is confess it, repent, and move on with life. Um, if you're going to get paralyzed by the fact that you did X 27 years ago and you can't get over it and you think you're disqualified forever, the devil has just knocked you out of the fight. So I agree with that part. 
I mean, but it says in Romans 6, what then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace abound? Perish the thought. No. How then do we fight against what the devil is doing? I want to show you something that, and I'll tell you some stories um, about what God has been doing for us in Cambodia. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And let's take a look at what God has um, established as the purpose for the church. Paul is an amazing guy. Um, I don't know how much you know about Paul, but Paul was an apostle, of course. But he was never an apostle that physically walked with Jesus on this earth like Matthew and John. And so, there's no record that he ever actually physically saw Jesus while he was on this earth. How did he get so smart? He wrote all the Pauline epistles. Romans is attributed to him, Hebrews. Luke was his traveling companion, and some people call Luke the gospel of Paul. And, of course, he would then went on to write the book of Acts. So if you take Luke and Acts, all the Pauline epistles... Romans, Hebrews, I mean, that's got to be what, two-thirds of the New Testament or more? Written by a guy that, what was his great qualification? Killer of Christians or, you know, the persecutor of Christians. And he, he, he gets zapped, loses his eyesight, filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden changes sides, and nobody can believe the guy is for real. And so the people that he was working for, capturing and killing and incarcerating Christians, all of a sudden decide they want to kill and incarcerate him. And they sneak him out of town. He goes to the backside of the Arabian desert for three years. Read Galatians chapter 1 sometime. He'll tell you, that which I learned, I did not learn from man. So how did Paul get so smart? Where'd it come from? You didn't have John and Peter up there to teach him. He didn't walk with Jesus. It was this helper that Jesus talks about, sending us in John 14, especially 14 and 16. But when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will lead you into all truth. And Paul keeps talking about this mystery that he has received that no one else in the history of the human race has ever received this mystery of enlightenment. And it was through the school of the Holy Spirit that Paul is taught for three years. And it says, after three years, I went down, presented myself to those who had some kind of reputation. Well, big shots, you know, John, Peter, Matthew. The ones that really walked with the man. And he says, he makes this statement, and I don't really believe he was putting them down. He says, they added nothing to me. Now, that wasn't meant to be a criticism of them. It's just saying that the Holy Spirit, who only said, when Jesus described the Holy Spirit, he said, he's not going to speak on his own. He's only going to tell you what I tell him, and I'm only going to tell him what I hear from the Father. 
and he will lead you into all truth. So why do we think we don't need him? How are we going to hear? We're going to read Bible stories to each other? I mean, when we went to Cambodia, that poor country was so fed up with religion, they would not even listen to you if you just read Bible stories. They didn't want to hear Bible stories. They'd had it. They were a very religious country. In fact, their slogan is, God, religion, king. Now, it's not our God. It's the Buddhist God. They don't really even know who his name is. But they, they were very religious people. And they look at what happened to them under the Khmer Rouge where one-third of their population were just wiped out from 75 to 79, and then they continued for another 33 years in warfare, continuous war for 30-some years. 98, when we got there, was when it ended. Most beat-up country, poorest country, flat bottom, rock bottom, zero on the scale of uh, prosperity, the poorest country in the world. And they've come back, and they're doing better than they were. How do we fight? What's the role of the church in this, to preach Bible stories? We, we love to spend our time in the Beatitudes. It's about being nice to each other, you know. If your enemy slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek, give him your coat. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. But somewhere, somebody, please, in the church, teach us how to deal with the devil who is the creator of all havoc on earth. You know, if I asked you this morning, why did Jesus come to earth? Well, should we, it's a rhetorical question because we don't have a mic to pass around. I wish we had time for that. But many people would say, well, to save us from our sins. And that's absolutely truth, or to save our souls. But when you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, we lost a lot more than just our relationship with God. We lost more than our souls, didn't we? What else did we lose? Peace, life. We, were, we weren't destined to die. We lost good relationships. We lost our health. You know, weeds started growing in our gardens. People have trouble with childbirth. All kinds of things came into this world. Hatred, war, murder, Cain and Abel, I mean, and on and on and on. So obviously, there was something lost that was more than just our soul. Now, when Jesus made the statement, he said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Personally, my favorite description of what Jesus' mission was on earth comes out of a kind of a secondary part of a verse in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And it says this, He who sins is of the devil. Now, most people would read that and think that means that if you sin, the devil's inside of you and you need deliverance. No, we all sin. He's the author of it. All it's saying is that, yes, sin comes from the devil. But you know what the second half of that verse says? He who sinned the devil, for this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might, what? Destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. 
How, ma how many of you were born Jewish? Anybody here born Jewish? Any of you at all have Jewish? Oh, one. One person would have been in the club. In Acts chapter 10, you know how all the rest of us got into the club? You know how a guy like me and the two sitting next to you, how they got in? Acts chapter 10, you ought to read it sometime. Peter, he's speaking. A bunch of Gentiles have come over. He's had this vision of the sheet with all the dirty animals in it you can't eat. And he's speaking and he said in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And as these Gentiles that have come over to visit hear that, all of a sudden, they start speaking in tongues. These Jewish believers that thought they had this exclusive Christian club well, what are we going to do now? These people that we think are unclean are using the same language that God gave us. I guess we better baptize them. And so here we are. <laughs> because they spoke in tongues and they received the Holy Spirit. I want to show you something really strange. Well, I really wanted to get into this. I'm going to get you into Ephesians 3. But let me explain a little bit. If you go to John chapter 1, we talk about why Jesus came to this earth. Remember John the baptizer, John, we call him John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, in fact, let's just flip over there. You really need to see this because most people don't realize this. I didn't realize this. Um, I just saw it last year when I'm looking at this and looking at his ministry and in the 29th verse of John 1, John the Baptist says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I spoke. After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him. What? Here's cousin John. I mean, they're dancing in his, he's dancing in his mother's womb when he meets Jesus when he's just a few weeks old. Remember the Christmas story, Elizabeth and Mary? But the truth is, though, Mary had to walk like 85 miles or 85 kilometers over very rough terrain to get to Elizabeth's house. Now, why would a young teenage pregnant girl do that? Probably to get away from all the snickers and accusations. I mean, what are you going to tell them? Yeah, an angel did it. <laughs> yeah, sure, Mary. No, she, she needed to get around somebody else who experienced that. And so she went to see her cousin Elizabeth and evidently stayed until John was born, who was at least six months uh, ahead of Jesus. But John says, I didn't know him. And when you think about that, Mary said she hid these things in her heart. Well, how would that have worked if Mary had told Jesus that he was the son of God? You know, they're walking through the market. He's seven years old, getting some vegetables and stuff for the dinner. And they're, oh, my, what a cute little boy you have there, Mary. Yeah, this is my son, God. That would have worked real well. They'd have killed them both. In fact, when Jesus did get baptized in the Jordan River and received the Holy Spirit, he 
shows up in his hometown synagogue, says, as was his custom. He was a very highly esteemed Jewish. He was called a rabbi, but he was a practicing carpenter. I don't think he was whittling out footstools and toys for kiddies. I think he was the biggest contractor in town. He was a highly respected Jewish businessman, obviously supporting his entire extended family, mother, brothers, and sisters. And Jesus was ahead. And he would have said, as was his custom, he took the, the scroll of Isaiah. But when he says this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What do all his homeboys who love Jesus want to do? Remember what they want to do? Haul him out of town and pitch him off a cliff. What did he do that ticked them off so much? Holy Spirit is upon me. Holy Spirit came into him without measure. And he ruined his life. Never again did he have a home to go to. Never again did he have a comfortable place to stay. All of a sudden, people hated him, threw him out of town, called him names. But listen to this. John says in 31, John 1, I did not know him, but he, that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Why did John come baptizing with water? Most people would say to prepare the way of the Lord. That's true. But that wasn't the primary reason. The primary reason was to identify the Christ. He didn't come down knowing Jesus was the Christ. He was going to find him by some method God gave him. And look at the method. And John bore witness saying, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. There he says it again. Verse 33, but he who sent me to baptize with water, who do you think that was? Father God. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. How did John know Jesus was the Christ? The Holy Spirit came upon him in fullness. You know, there's a book, a verse in Ephesians that says that it's, it's a very controversial verse because you read it in the, in the King James and it says, Jesus did not count it robbery to be made equal with God. What? That doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make any sense to anybody here? Why would you count it robbery to be made God? That's just dumb. Honestly, they've taken apart some of your newer translations have gotten a better rendition of that. But it really appears that what it should be saying here is Jesus did not count it robbery to be made less than equal with God. Where it goes on and it explains how he emptied himself of all of his godlike characteristics and came to earth as a human being, just like you and I. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to seriously think about this 
Give me, don't give me, rhetorically, give me an honest answer, okay? Jesus in John 14, 12, he says, these things that I do, what had he done? Healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, worked miracles, you know, stopped storms. These things that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Now, if, like most people, we think of Jesus as this kind of Superman God who just kind of went around with godlike powers and waved his fingers at stuff and they just boomed away like in the movie, you know, like a superhero, how are we going to do what he did? Huh? If you don't have any of that, if you're not Superman, how are you going to be Superman? How are you going to make the bullets bounce off your chest? How are you going to do that? Obviously, it would be an unfair challenge and an unfair statement. It would be almost immoral of him to expect us to be able to compete with supernatural abilities. I believe Jesus had to learn what he knew the same way that Paul had to learn what he knew. Jesus never worked a miracle, never cast out a devil, never healed a sick person until after he received the Holy Spirit, and then he turned the world upside down. And why was he always sneaking off by himself to pray? He picks these 12 guys out, and in chapter 8 of Luke, it says he takes them with him to all the cities that they're about to visit, and he demonstrates the kingdom of God. Heals the sick, raises the dead, casts out devils, and he takes various women and other people who've been e either delivered of demons or healed of diseases to give testimony. And the 12 were with him, it says, and the 12 were with him. Then Luke 9, he sends the 12 out, and then he, what does he do? He, it says, he dispenses his power. You see, they can't receive the Holy Spirit yet because he hasn't gone to heaven to pay for our dirty deeds. And the Holy Spirit can't move into a dirty house. That's why we have to be born again before we can receive the power. But he had the power to just kind of give them a little download to last for a few weeks or whatever the time was. And they went out and they did the stuff. They come back all pumped up. He picks 70 more in the 10th chapter, sends them out with the 12. So now what well, you got, 82, 41 teams of two each. They go out, they cast out devils, heal the sick, raise them. Wow, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Woo! They're all pumped up. Now get this. Chapter 11, Jesus is off praying by himself. They come up to him. Hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. What? They've been out healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, and they don't even know how to pray. Why was Jesus always out praying by himself? I can't prove this. Even when he's praying by the rock, remember before he goes to the cross and he's sweating great, great drops of blood, 
He, he's a stone's throw away. How far can you throw a stone? Maybe 50 yards? God, if you can let the show you. They can't stay away. They don't come near him. Why? I'm, I believe he's praying it down in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus went to the cross, he had no more confidence that he was going to come out on the other side on the right hand of God in heaven than you and I would have if we faced the cross. He went through it with the strength of human faith in a supernatural God. There, think about that. He, he was no cock sure he was going to win this thing than you and I are that we're going to win this thing. We walk by faith. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the God who knows how strong we are. It says he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Huh? How did Jesus learn obedience? He suffered the cross and learned it pays off to believe God because he wound up on the right hand of the throne of heaven. He learned obedience by suffering the cross. He found that it really was worth it to follow God and believe him. So, we're facing all kinds of stuff right now. We've been going through battles with old crooked pastors that we established 20 years ago that have gone after the money instead of the kingdom. And we've had to deal with a bunch of them. People who hire shame and to put curses on the work that we do. If you think there's no power on the dark side, don't dabble with it. You know why witches and warlocks are more powerful than just demons? I want you young people to listen to this because there's some that have been playing around with witchcraft. Demons can't project their evil deeds. They can inflict them upon you. They can possess you. They can torment you. But the one thing that they don't have, that angels don't have, that we all, all human beings, saved and unsaved, good and bad and evil, we all have the one thing in common. We are created in the image of God. Now, what does that mean? What do we have that angels don't have? Angels can fly. We can't fly. I mean, angels can move around instantaneously. We can't do that. So what's so good about being made in the image of God? We can think cognitively. Close your eyes a second. Imagine yourself in a beautiful Hawaiian white sandy beach watching the sun set over the ocean and the sunlight's twinkling on the waves and the palm trees are gently swaying in the breeze. You're all there, Right? If I said, imagine yourself on the farthest star in the universe zooming through space, you're there. Not at the speed of light, at the speed of thought. You try that with the most trained, educated monkey you can find in the world. Your pet dog, your pig. See if any of them can do that. You, they can't. That's a godlike trait. That's why God can be everywhere all the time with everyone at the same time. 
You have that with God. You take that power and you invite in the demonic evil and all of a sudden you can project a curse upon someone's health. You can curse their finances. Now there's a lot of fake witches out there just like there's a lot of fake pastors out there. But you take a powerful pastor filled with the Holy Ghost, he can do the devil a lot of harm. And you take some witch that truly taps into the evil or a warlock, don't you play games with them. You better learn how to fight. I'm going to close this out. How much time I got left, Rick? About 10 minutes? All right. I don't want the gator. He told me there's a pit full of gators under here, and these are trap doors. And it hits the, the boom time, and I'm gone, so I will not keep you over time. Ephesians chapter 3. We had these guys trying to steal the property. They stole a bunch of our rice land that you saw the pictures of. They learned the love of money is the root, a root of all evil. And of, unfortunately, they chose to follow it. And we've had to deal with a number of them. And this one is particularly difficult. But it says to me, or here in uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, I'm just going to read to you. I guess the best place to start is the third verse. And this is Paul speaking. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already written. Now, Paul talks about the mystery in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries unto God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talks about how do we speak wisdom amongst those who, you know, supposedly religiously educated like you. How do I speak wisdom to you? We speak mysteries from God, which are revealed by the Spirit of God. What, what are these mysteries? Over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, he finally defines it. This is one of the Pauline epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians. They're all written while he was in prison and roughly in the same time period. They really don't know what order they were written. Christ in you. The mystery is Christ in you. Ephesians or Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does Christ get in you? You know, they were talking at our convention, our greatest thing is that God is with us. I said, no, the greatest thing is God is in us. That's when he really becomes powerful. See, Jesus in, in, uh, in this 14th chapter of John, Jesus says, this helper whom I'm going to send, the Holy Spirit, he is with you. He's speaking to the 12, and he shall be what? In you. How come he was with them and not in them? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. That's why they couldn't listen to him praying in tongues. Because if they'd have heard him praying in tongues and they're in the natural and he's in the spirit, they'd have tried to copy him. It would have been totally far. It would have been fraudulent. They'd have had to, ga, ga, boo, boo, da, da, yaka, yaka. 
I mean, they'd try to make something up. He couldn't do it. So he's off by himself. That's my theory. Stone me in the parking lot after the service. <laughs> so this mystery, what's he say about it? I'm going to skip down. It says, look, which, in verse 5, this mystery, he's, the subject is the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. What is this mystery? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Verse 8, I'm, gonna, I'm skipping through stuff. You can go back and read the whole thing. To me, Paul, whom less than the least of all saints. In other words, he, he realizes he's not one of the guys that walked with Jesus. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And listen to this. This one is a corker. Verse 9. And to make all see what is, and I get mad at King James. He says fellowship. It really should be stewardship. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Actually, it should be the fellowship is like you're having a party with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship is like let's have ice cream in the foyer after church. That's not what they're talking about here. How do we steward this mystery? Stewardship is management. It's care of. It's the operating of. How do we handle the power and the management of the operation and the power of this mysterious thing we have, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory, which is the Holy Spirit who was with Jesus, but not yet in the disciples, but is now able to come into us because he already went to the cross. We're on the other side of Pentecost, and all we have to do is ask, and boom! The Holy Spirit is in me because he has appointed me. And that can be any one of you. And you can take the devil on. Yeah, he'll fight. He fought Jesus. Look at this. So we... To make all see, and I'm just going to say stewardship, not fellowship, okay? What is the stewardship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus? The Holy Spirit's been around. He was there at creation. We just didn't know how to get into him in the Old Testament. We didn't know how he was going to get into us. He couldn't because we were tarnished goods. But now that we've been born again, we are dead to sin and alive to Christ, he can move into us, and I don't care if you sinned last, and I don't care if you're sinning right now. Repent and get over it and move on in the power of the Holy Ghost. You're clean not because of the good deeds you do or the bad deeds you've done. You're not kicked out of the club because of that. You're saved by grace through faith. You're not going to get unsaved unless you renounce Jesus Christ, and you're really nuts if you do that. 
which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. Now, here, why did we get this stewardship? This is the one. This is the zinger which I'm going to close on. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Who are the principalities and powers in heavenly places? What did Jesus say? Behold, the prince of this world comes, but he has no hold on me. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Whom the principalities and powers of the world did not know, or they wouldn't have crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's this? Who are these principalities and powers? It's the devil and his demonic host that torment and ruin the world, create wars and hatreds and every other disease and cancer and everything you can think of that's wrong with this world was brought in here by Satan, by those principalities and powers. And the church's job is to teach them a lesson through the management of the power that no one else in history has ever been able to possess, the power of the Holy Spirit Christ in you, the hope of glory. We went to work on that guy that sold that land. Our board went up and sacked him. Ha! He didn't like it very much. He got his demon buddies together. They were actually doing demonic seances and such in this church building. They'd let it, weeds grow up around it. The place had decayed, no longer cared for orphans. We sent up our most powerful team of pastors, exorcists, just power in the spirit that we'd raised up in the last 20 years. They went up there. They cleaned out everything they could find. They exercised every demon. They cleansed that place. They redid it physically. They fixed the cracks, repaired the windows, cut down the brush, repainted the walls, Fix the cracked concrete, establish a new powerful spirit-filled preacher, and that place is now a thriving church again. Yeah, that's a praise God. But the devil didn't let up. That had exorcist, I mean, the most powerful deliverance we ever experienced in Cambodia was a demon-filled woman that was cursed by her uh, father's neighbor because he would not sell land to him. He, this, this guy had four daughters. He hired a shaman to curse the daughters and make them insane. The oldest daughter, Elizabeth, was the craziest. She went so crazy that they took her to the Buddhist nun, monks to get the demons cast. They do exorcism too, you know that. They used red-hot branding irons to put them on her chest and her back, try to burn the demons out. She's still got big scars. This is over 20 years ago. Made her so crazy, every time she saw an orange-clad Buddhist monk, she'd strip off every strip of clothing on her body, totally naked, and chase these monks down the street. You know, that is, it's embarrassing if you're a Buddhist monk. Get chased by a naked woman down the street. Screaming at them. They didn't know what to do with her. They chained her up and put her in a cage. This young guy 
blessed and sent out by this pastor in Simreap. She'd send these young tigers out, go to all the villages, tell them you have a God that casts out devils and heals the sick, and you want to show what he can do. He goes into this town, I believe in a God that casts out devils and heals the sick. Yeah, if your God's so hot, go cast the devil out of Elizabeth. She wasn't Elizabeth then. That's her Christian name. I can't remember her Cambodian name. Goes up to her, see no clothes, snarling away, hair hadn't been cut, you know, they throw a blanket over her, and he leads her in on a 5 16 log chain about three meters long, like a, you'd lead a cow. Leads her back to the church. They keep her there for 30 days. They work on her, praying over her, taking shifts of people. They got her totally cleansed, released, redeemed, restored, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Took her back to her village. She got her three sisters delivered. They, they established a church in that village. She has been on staff with us for the last 15 years. The woman that pulled all of that off is the district supervisor. She came back. She was the head exorcist cleansing this building. She all of a sudden had stroke-like symptoms. Her whole left side of her body went numb. <clears throat> she could hardly breathe. They call her into the emergency room, x-ray or uh, do a CAT scan on her lungs. It's not, they say it's not TB, it's not cancer, but it's like her lungs have been burned with fire. Man, everybody in Cambodia praying for her, Savang. Pray for her. she's totally healed now. I mean, dealt with that devil. They came back up to dedicate the, the church when the new pastor was installed. I said, come and bless our rice farm. We right now face terrible times. We can't import any food. Containers we used to get in for $3,000 a piece now cost us 15000 We can't afford to bring free food over. So we have to raise it, but then the Chinese have stopped exporting any fertilizer to Cambodia. All of our fertilizer came from China. What we used to get for $20 is now $150 a ton. Five, six times more than it was, and we have to smuggle that in. I mean, and we're, we can't get free food. We have to raise our own. We have 1,000 acres of rice, and it's starving to death. I get a Second day I'm here, I get a phone call from our farm manager. He says, Pa, we got the best rice crop we've ever had, but if we don't feed the baby, it's going to die. I know they're cursing that crop. I said, what's it going to take? And you're writing it down. Fill the whole eight and a half by 11 sheet, ammonium sulfate, diammonium phosphate, marietta potash. Get it all done, $132,050. You know what? Somehow, I, I was going to beg somebody to borrow the money. I would put all our land up for collateral. I'd do anything. And the churches I've spoke at, we've just about, we've, we're at like $129,000 that have, they've given me in the last three weeks. My wife, she's speaking in Illinois. Last night, he calls me, but pa, our 50-year-old rice mill that we have to use to process all the rice just died. The, the, the elevators are bucket thin, the, the paper thin, the walls are just leaking rice all over. The great big thing looks like a player piano. The shaker box, it sorts out all the different sizes of rice. It's totally worn out. 
I said, okay, give me the bad news. What's it going to take? He says, I got to have $12,000. I said, oh, Paul Moak, give me some good news once in a while. I said, I'll see what we can do. And that's why I'm here. And I'm done. I'm out of time. I got to quit. God bless you. And amen. Don't eat me, gators. I love you. Thanks for having me here. Well, you got the message. Worship team, will you come on up? And uh, listen, if you, uh, I'm going to ask the ushers to get ready. We're going to go ahead and uh, receive the offering. Um, and if you have something to share and give, please uh, put it in the offering bucket and let's, uh, or online, uh, feel free to do that. Do the Lord lead you. That's what we're asking for. What does God want? And uh, I, I, I've seen so many incredible miracles that are happening in Cambodia. In fact, I would like uh, to take a team next year to Cambodia. How many would like to go? Um, if you want to go, uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll, we'll get a team together and we'll go to Cambodia and uh, we'll do some ministry and, uh, and, uh, and learn some things. Let's do that next year. Well, Father, we ask you, bless, Lord, as we bring offering to you, and, uh, Lord, that you uh, be honored, Lord, in all things. We pray, God, for every need of this ministry in Cambodia to be met, Lord, and we're thankful that we get to be a part. In Jesus' name, amen.
you, Jesus. Listen, um, I am. Um, that uh, know how to pay, pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think some of you who are listening to that are going, you know what? I think I need some prayer. Remember, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And we, um, I invite you to, if you, if you need to have someone pray with you, pray for, in power, uh, to, to just make your way over the prayer room and do that. God bless you guys. We'll, we'll see you uh, this next week.